Good morning. It's a great joy to be here at Christ Church Waco. Uh, it's a beautiful day, not just because of the sun and the temperature, but uh, because we're able to come together and share in, in the Lord's body and blood as one body, one fellowship. Also, we're here to observe and witness uh, these confirmands who will be confirming their baptismal faith uh, before the church. And let me start with a joke. I tried one other time, and it went over like a lead balloon, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes here. The last sentence of John's first letter that we read this morning, he says, He, Jesus, has become the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I've always wanted someone to come up to me and ask me, what does the word propitiation mean? To which I can reply, well, simple, it means expiation. Neither word, okay, see, it's funny to me because neither word is used much in the English language. In fact, you probably never see it. Uh, of course, it means complete sacrifice, perfect offering. Um, so I won't use that joke anymore if that's okay. I mean, <laughs> a little bit of history as we begin this sermon, and this is for the confirmands first and foremost. Um, if we were in the first or second great awakening, and this was a Sunday morning, the confirmands would be sitting on what was known as the anxious bench. It was the usually the first bench in the church. Nobody wanted to sit there unless you know they were on the hot seat, so to speak. Um, and it was when they felt stirred by the Holy Spirit to come forward and make an altar call. Well, confirmation is the Catholic Anglican version of the altar call. They will stand before the church this morning and profess their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, confirming their baptismal faith, which incorporated them into his body, uh, both through baptism and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then they will also confess that as God's love is being poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit, they'll do what we just prayed in the collect at the beginning of the service, that they'll follow in His most blessed, the blessed steps of his most holy life. Uh, of course, the Christian pilgrimage, the Christian life, is about becoming like Jesus. Uh, he became like us so that we can now become like him, I think Augustine, St. Augustine may have said. A little more history. Winston Churchill once said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all other forms of government. Before the first war in Iraq, and now I'm dating myself a little bit, we got to see a little bit of how democracy worked. You and I elect representatives who then govern our nation, our states, and our cities on our behalf. But we also get to hold them accountable while they're in office, and then, of course, there's always another election looming. As the Gulf War was beginning to build up, those who were not already on principle opposed to war asked the question, what is this all about? And the answers that we received from our elected leaders determined whether or not we supported this war. One of the problems, if we go back a few years, with the war in Vietnam is it began as a police action, and over time it, of course, developed into a full-blown war. The question, what is this all about, wasn't asked until our troops and our nation were already committed. As we know from history, the tremendous number of protesters, civil disobedience, mass demonstrations showed that a large number of people didn't like the answer to that question, what is this all about? Now, if you were part of the GI generation, those who lived through the Depression and won a world war, their greatest value as a generation was loyalty. So their first response would not be to question the government or the institutions of, of our country. But for young people who lived in the 60s, this became a way of life. What is this all about? Would become the battle cry of those who lived in the 60s. And nothing in our society, not one institution, not even the church, would be spared the critical eye of an entire generation. 
The subject of the question was, what is this all about? Now in the 70s, we began to see church attendance and membership begin to decline from its high in the 1950s. And so even church leaders began questioning the institution. When it came to the church, the question was, what is this all about? And I think how they answered that question had devastating consequences. Today, church attendance in Europe is in the single digits, one, two, three percent of the population. And as we've just heard in the last couple months, church attendance in the U.S. is now at an all-time low. I think Christians, or maybe let's call them church leaders, over the last 50 years have asked the question, what is this all about? And they've come up with a whole bunch of different answers that look nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ and his transforming love for each of us. Forgetting the gospel, they have embraced social justice or liberation. They've embraced Eastern religion or identity politics, all with the desire of being more relevant to the world. In the name of inclusiveness, they're preaching another gospel than that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many have rolled the dice when it comes to the purpose of Christianity, an attempt to be relevant and more appealing to the world, and it seems quite clearly that this gamble has failed. I stand before you saying, like St. Paul, we should preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. The mantra of liberal progressives in the early 20th century was, like the industrial or technological revolution, human nature was also getting better and better over time as well. And I think this is assumed by many in our own day as well. But if I'm okay and you're okay, why is Jesus hanging on the cross? St. John writes, if we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. The scriptures, the tradition, the Catholic faith, or the creedal faith, if you like, of the early church tells us that there is a right and wrong. There is a truth and falsehood. There is a yes and a no. Despite what some might say in the church today, most people want something that's concrete, something they can sink their teeth into or hold on to. They don't want a God who simply sits on a shelf until we're ready to use him. They don't want a God who is simply some kind of benevolent force or positive energy. They want a God that actually cares enough to make demands of our lives and a God who loves us and because of that love has acted for our own good. We want a king and a father with a capital F. We must be clear now more than ever what our purpose is as the church. Justice and peace should be valued. Health and comfort are good things. Liberation and racial reconciliation are wonderful to strive for, but none of these things will get us into heaven. Peter proclaims there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except that of Jesus Christ. Jesus, not an ideology. Jesus, not a philosophy. Jesus, not even a religion, is who we are called to trust and follow and obey because he is the author of eternal life. We're celebrating the season of new life, of hope, of resurrection, as we now are in the middle of the Easter season. And the Easter message has been proclaimed by every generation of the church, beginning with St. Peter on the steps of the temple on that first day of Pentecost. And we uphold this Catholic, apostolic faith and teaching is handed down to us by faithful generations of Christians before us, going all the way back to the apostles themselves. They didn't see fit to change what Jesus taught, the faith that he gave us, and neither should we. In fact, if you read the scriptures, it's God's desire to change us and not the other way around. John writes, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. 
the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Holy Scriptures, of the Catholic faith, the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of truth and holiness, is the God that you and I must proclaim and serve and worship. Any other God pales in comparison. Because this is the only God that can bring comfort and healing to a broken and sick world. This is the only God that can truly raise someone from the dead. Becoming part of the darkness only makes more darkness. Jesus has called us instead to be a light to the world. And here's the amazing thing. If we put Jesus first and his transforming love in our lives, others will begin to do the same thing. We will see more justice and more reconciliation and better race relations, not because we're re-educating people, but because the love of God has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit. He is transforming us by the renewal of our minds. If our hearts are set on God and the things of eternity, then we will be in a place to help others answer that petition on the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just back to racial reconciliation for a moment. There's that wonderful vision in the book of Revelation where John sees standing before the throne people from every nation and tribe and tongue praising God and praising the Lamb. That's the vision that we're working towards. And we want it to be true on earth as it is in heaven. But it only will happen if we put God's love first and then the love of others next. It's only when we put the risen Jesus first that we can truly become the salt and the light that he's called us to be. As the risen Jesus appeared to the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And what they saw in the scriptures was Jesus himself. Everything God had done from the creation to the incarnation was pointing to Jesus. Everything we do in this church must point to Jesus. You are professing as those being confirmed today uh, before the church that Jesus is in fact your Lord and Savior. And I challenge you to share that truth with everyone you can. Keeping focused on our mission of making him known to others is the only way that we can truly make a difference in the lives of people. If people want to know, what is this all about? The answer has always been the same. Jesus. Hallelujah, he is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.